0: Broadcasting live from the PHX.FM studio in Phoenix, Arizona.
1: It's time for Valley Business Radio, spotlighting the Valley's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome back to another episode of the Arizona 100 podcast. I'm your host, Adrian McIntyre with PHX.FM. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Abby Fink, publisher of the Arizona 100 and a special guest. Abby, why don't you say hello and introduce our guest for today's show?
0: Well, thanks, Adrian. You know, this is pretty exciting, right? The the work from home environment that we've all been in for the last six months. I decided that the work from home didn't have to be my home. So I packed up the car and the dog and headed out to California. So I'm uh, at the dining room table at my sister's house, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun if I asked her to join? So I'm really happy to introduce my sister, Sandra Fink. She is a physical education teacher here in Glendale, California, and I thought it might be fun to talk a little bit about education, because as you and I have been discussing as organizations, businesses and such have been adjusting and adapting to what COVID-19 has been we've talked about the fact that education was was facing some unique challenges because it was not only just you know the adults in the in the scenario that had to adjust but the the students and parents as well. So I thought Sandy would add an interesting flavor to the conversation. So welcome Ms. Fink. Wow, thank you. I appreciate an interesting flavor. Okay, let's see what I can do for you. (laughs) The teachers and students here in Sandy's area have been back for about a month now, right, Sandy?
2: Yes, that's correct. We went back on uh, August 19th.
0: So talk a little bit, if you could, about, you know, what was getting you prepared for the, the education environment that we're facing now, what the last several months have been like as you've been getting ready for the first day of school and maybe some learnings that have happened over the last couple of weeks of you've settled into this new routine and as your students have gotten to be a little bit more comfortable as well.
2: Well, thank you, Abby. I appreciate you including me in your podcast. This is kind of exciting to be able to brag about public education. So any opportunity for any teacher to speak out about how great my job is. I guess I should start back from March when California decided to go on a complete shutdown. We were on spring break at the time and I was I was forward thinking, saying to myself, maybe I should bring my computer home just in case. And our district spent the rest of spring break creating webinars for all of us. And we spent an entire, we got our spring break, but then the next week they put us in trainings for weeks. It was just to learn how to use all this technology. And they tried to make it as positive for everyone as possible to make sure the students felt still connected to us. And so as we were learning the process of Zoom and Google Classroom, they were very generous with our time and allowing us to kind of be flexible in what we were doing. There was no, we weren't really grading. We were just more socializing and keeping the kids intact. And then over the summer, our district spent, I don't know how many hours just trying to create all these wonderful sessions for us. And the week before we came back to school, they, they, Anything we needed, all the different types of technology that was out there, the different sites that we were going to be using, they set up webinars for us. So it made it going back to school a little less anxious, but... I'm a perfectionist by nature. You know, every teacher wants to go above and beyond. And so for me, not feeling as comfortable with technology, I was always freaking out that, oh my God, I failed my children, my poor students. They're going to, I'm not going to find them. My Zoom meeting is going to be at one time and nobody's going to show up, you know, all those kinds of things. But as everything happens in time with patience and deep breaths and, focused, I was able to log in successfully. And I was so excited when it happened the first time, I think I jump up and down and I was like cheering for myself. And I think a lot of teachers were in the same boat as I was, that we just, we want to be at school. We know we can't be at school. So we have to make the best of this. And so that's kind of where things are at right now. I'm way better now than I was four weeks ago. I get so excited when the kids turn in their lessons on time and I know how to grade it online. I mean, these are all things I had absolutely no idea about. And I know you mentioned this earlier. I do teach physical education. The last thing I ever want to do is be on my computer. I don't do this. So everything for me personally was brand new learning because we're outside, we're playing, we're active. We don't we don't sit behind a computer. So It was a lot. I feel a lot better. I I do have some hiccups along the way. And um, I am actually grateful that you were here visiting because I needed help with some other technology stuff. And you were like, it's super easy. You just do this. And I was like, "Okay." so you taught me. I'm always willing to learn. And that's the thing about teachers. We are always students. We are probably the most professional students because we're constantly wanting to find new information, learn it and do it really well. So that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: Sandra, one of the things that strikes me about education is it is an area of life that everyone has opinions about uh, what's working, what's not working, what they should do differently. And certainly within education, of course, there are an, an incredible diversity of opinions about, you know, what's wrong, what's right, whose fault it is, what needs to change. And whether you're talking to an administrator or teacher or parent or student or a uh, staff member or you know anybody, right? That one thing for sure is there will be opinions. Mm-hmm. And yet very rarely do we hear from someone like yourself who's in the trenches trying to navigate a difficult situation, much as we've seen with the business owners we often are speaking about, there's plenty of executives and, and business owners who never in their wildest dreams would have th- thought they'd be working remotely. Uh, we're sure that that would mean the the, the end of everything uh, because it just can't work. It's no, we have to be here. I'm curious to know, what are some of the things you found you like better about how this is going now? And what are some of the areas where it's still, it's not as good as it should be, but you're making do?
2: One of the things I think is really interesting is I have more time to get to know the kids. The questions and answers, the activities I'm doing online with them, are a great way for me to see their face. Their name is right there. Like when they're in class, even though they're dressed out and all that, sometimes I can't see their name, but this way their name is right there. And I'm asking them all sorts of silly questions about stuff just to get them up and moving around. So getting this opportunity that I might not have, my class sizes are pretty big. They're about 50 kids in a class because it's PE. So it would have taken me a, a really long time to get to know them. And now because I'm taking attendance seeing their face having their cameras on calling on them by name you so and so you have a question so and so what's your question you know it's that constant learning of their names and I absolutely think that's kind of cool I um the one of the hiccups we've had along the way I'm just going to share a personal story yesterday I guess it doesn't matter the date but um So I'm in the middle of teaching and I live in a condominium and they were testing my fire alarms. So I need to tell my students, uh, we're not doing a fire drill online, boys and girls, I I promise you. And then um, I got word that they were going to shut my power off to fix the fire alarms. And I had a panic attack because I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be online with my students and they're going to shut my power off. So those are the kinds of things that um, I don't have to deal with when I'm teaching at school unless it's raining, but we know what to do if it's raining outside. So being dependent on electricity technology is, a, is a, a huge challenge. But the the cool thing about all this is the communication, like the chat room I get to have with the kids. They can talk to me and ask me questions that, that they're maybe too afraid to raise their hand. Even in regular schools, kids are afraid to raise their hand so they can chat with me that way. Um, I always leave my Zoom meetings open a little longer if kids wanna stay technically after class to chat because I did that all the time when I was at school. I always made time for my students. So that's kind of cool. The schedule is challenging in itself, but I think it gives the kids the opportunity to finish their work during school time. We're giving them that. So now I don't think there's much homework for the kids. And I'm hoping that's keeping them less stressed about it all. Well, what I'm hearing,
0: and it's interesting to me because I think some of those some of those challenges those initial challenges about learning the technology and and what is my workspace going to look like and am i going to have what i need to do what i need to do were really kind of common denominators amongst all of us that ended up having to be in an at-home work environment you know most even businesses that had Um, you know, uh, maybe a a flexible work schedule and, and allowed their employees to work from home still did not have an entire workforce that was working from home. And really, you know, upgraded internet access to technology. Is the lighting right? Will Zoom connect? Will, you know, have I downloaded the right upgrade? And all the other things were all things that that organizations were facing. And and so it was almost like everyone was their first day on the job when they were experiencing it. But your comment about um, being able to interact with your students in a, in a different way was really intriguing to me I've had the chance to watch you teach before and you know some of the tricks you you have to learning the kids names and, and such and and watched you be able to do that and I know I commented earlier because I it, it sounds funny listening you know when someone says okay Adrian, that's a very good question Adrian would you like to answer the question which are all tricks to to learn? you know, for you to learn the names, but I think it's also creating an opportunity for that student to be heard and to be seen. Because as you said, they're all equal on your screen, right? Everybody is front of the class, in front of the teacher, and not hiding behind or being shy. They're, they're right up there and um, and giving you that opportunity to interact, which, you know, we've been seeing that in our relationships with clients as well, where we have, you know, these Zoom calls where we're talking with our clients or creating cultural opportunities with our staff so that we can stay connected to each other. And it's different ways of doing it, but it's still giving us that chance to have a, you know, a a one-on-one relationship, even if we're not physically near that person. So I find it real interesting that those were your observations um, that you've, that, you know, the positive that comes out of doing this and, and how, you know, that, that may, may maybe in the future be a way to, you know, think differently about those first few days of school when you're, you know, you're trying to interact with, with your students.
2: Not so much now because all my students are new to me, but when we fell into this in, in March, I had already had my students all year round. We'd already had a semester where we were into the second semester. And that as I'm listening to what you said, Abby, there were some kids that just excelled outside or excelled at school because they're very outgoing. They're not afraid to raise their hand. And then those shy kids. My shy kids, once we moved to this, were phenomenal. And we often have, uh, we talked about that as a staff. It's like, well, so-and-so didn't do any work in class when we were at school, but now is turning in all the work and is, is chatting online and is doing all this stuff. So we've often talked about this in education as to, you know, before technology, it was some kids are visual learners. Some kids are auditory learners. Some are tactile learners and how you're supposed to teach using all those Types of skills, but now we have to add in a technology skill because some kids, this is their life. They love this. This is going to make them an A plus student. Where at school, it might, might not be a match for them. And we are going to have to look at this in the future as to giving kids options as to how they do, how they come to school. And I think it's an it's going to be an interesting conversation when we get there.
1: I think there's so many ways in which long held opinions and deep-seated assumptions have shaped what we do. And even just the the everyday practices of delivering education. I mean, I, I remember reading stories, for example, about teachers trying to adapt to common core, but trying to find ways to use the same worksheets they would used for 20 years. And there's just not a fit between those two. And whereas they had the standards and were comfortable with standards, the actual execution of it relied on this daily set of assignments and work and things, and that hadn't developed. So there was a bit of a, of a mismatch. I think it's so interesting what you're saying that we're discovering new kinds of competencies that were always relevant, but were less obvious. Uh, because the the analog way of doing it was we just put people in a room and we already have stories that we tell ourselves about those kind of kids. Uh, and, and what you're suggesting here is there's alternative stories like, well, that if, if this was all happening on a Discord server, that kid would be an A+ student, but but this other one wouldn't. It's not that this one's smart, this one's well behaved, this one's motivated. You know, a lot of even the words we've had to describe these things have a lot of these assumptions baked in. How are you finding this changes the way you're teaching?
2: I'm doing a lot more research than I did before. Obviously, I can't teach basketball, so I've got to find other things. I have a wonderful colleague who just loves to do all that kind of stuff. And so I'm teaching things like yoga and Still things I I would never teach yoga. That's just, I don't have the patience for that. So, but now I'm teaching it. And so uh, we're picking things that the kids can do in a small space. So that's a whole other area to research. What's been nice too is there's been wonderful websites for us that are teacher-friendly and student-friendly because it could be teacher-friendly, but it might be not the right or appropriate for kids. So we've been doing those kinds of searches. There's a ton of stuff on YouTube and kids are all into YouTube. They love YouTube. Everything is it on YouTube. So we've been trying to access some of these other activities on YouTube that they can watch and then they can do in their home. So Everything is now an individual thing where in PE, you tend to do uh, more team related activities, basketball, soccer, football, those kinds of things. And we won't be able to do that until we go back to school.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's no virtual pickleball. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> and and saying
0: that's an interesting, um, you know, that that part of, of school that cr- that gives kids the chance for socialization and that comes from picking teams or, you know, Learning how to cooperate with others, and and you know the the negotiations for who's going to be team captain or any of those kinds of things, and you might be a little too soon in the in the process yet. But um, what are what are you thinking, or what are you finding, are you know going to be that. Creating those opportunities for kids to still have socialization. Uh, this isn't going to be forever. Let's. I mean, eventually we will return, and and what this environment is now will 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 hopefully carry in and the and the positives of it. But what are you seeing, or how are you thinking about you know what becomes of socialization and bringing kids back together once once you can return to a classroom setting?
2: Well, the socialization online. I have been a little more patient with the question answer part. I usually am very strict about, let me give you the directions and then we can ask the questions. But I feel like if a kid wants to talk online, I want them to have that opportunity, even if the question has nothing to do with what we're talking about. To get that part of it, I want the kids while we're in distant learning to feel comfortable with me and with each other. So that's why I'm constantly complimenting if a kid shares something with a class, thank you, Abby, for sharing that. That was fantastic. I think everybody was wondering that same question you just asked. Abby, you did a great job of asking, you know, those kinds of things. So if a kid feels that they can ask a question that has nothing to do with what we're doing and I'm still saying, hey, you know what? That's a great question because everybody probably wanted to know. I'm hoping that opens the door for other children. When we get back to school, I'll be back into my regular high-fiving and, the various other things that I do for the positive reinforcement to have kids feel confident in themselves. But, uh, my catchphrase, as I say to all my kids at the, you know, I always say good morning or good afternoon, but when they go out of zoom, I'm always like toodles noodles. And it's just a thing for them to feel like they're appreciated. And then they'll say it back. And it's like this big old hoopla dupla. And it's, it's, it's building their confidence now. So hopefully when we get back to school, they will already feel like they can come up to me and high five me or tell me what they had for dinner the night before. Those kinds of conversations we're going to work on when we're in Zoom. So Adrian, I know that you've got school age
0: kids and and have, uh, you know, been talking about, you know, what that looks like. You, um, well, we, we call it homeschool you, and that That's how I call what you do with your kids. I know you, but tell me a little bit about, you know, what the impact has been on, on you and your family because you've already kind of introduced the concept of technology and done some other innovative ways for your kids to be going to school. And now some of that is changing because you're still in a, you know, in a, in the physical distanced environment and virtual has changed a little bit. So what does it look like for you right now with your kids?
1: Yeah, so technically, what we do, uh, it, although we don't belabor the point because very few people care, um, is is called unschooling, and it's it's a secular, science based, student driven learning process that is um, different from what a lot of people mean when they say homeschooling. But in any case, we are learning outside the classroom, and we have since uh, the very beginning. And um, what's changed for us is that even though the word homeschooling is often used to describe people who are Uh, home educating their kids, we were almost never at home. Uh, Our kids were always out in the world um, with other kids, with other adults, you know, interacting every day with mixed ages, you know, from from three to, to 98, you know, kind of a situation. They would be at the Herpetological Society with snakes and hanging out with the trainers. And the next day they'd be at the zoo. And the next day they'd be at the Science Center Museum and things of that nature. So what's really changed for us is that all of the awesome things that were available, uh, for them to do during the day where usually Jen, but sometimes I would take them places like that's, what's gone away. So that's been hard, not because it's changed the social dynamics so much, although that's a, that is definitely, um, a factor, but we've just tried to find ways to adapt, um, to it. You know, the, the boys are currently fascinated by, um, Uh, medieval history. And so it's all, you know, knights and castles and documentaries and, you know, drawing stuff and listening to stories on, you know, we're just pretty much finding, we're finding as as much as, as we can. Um, One of the things that I often say when people ask us, you know, Oh, well, how do you do that? Is often find I'm addressing a misconception um, with, with, with folks. And that is people think that education is a function of teaching So they're often asking us, well, are you teachers? I mean, how do you do, you know, do this thing? Whereas I want to remind people that education is a function of learning. The education process is happening when an individual human being is learning something. And teachers can be extraordinary uh, facilitators of the learning process. And yet, they're not necessary for the learning process. Um, the learners and, and how do I don't go ask any teacher if everyone in the class, any great teacher, if everyone in their class learns equally well, just because they're a great teacher. And the answer is no. <laughs> it has a lot to do with the learner. So uh, for, for us, what we've tried to do is simply, I think, what everyone's trying to do is adapt and 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 be be as flexible as we can. For us, the the freedom from some of the behavior management stuff that's an important part of having 30 or more kids, you know, in one place at the same time has been a relief. We, we, we don't like to be on a strict schedule ourselves. And so the fact that our kids don't have this particular class from nine ten to nine thirty five just kind of suits us. And that's our flavor of, you know, uh, life. But um, what I do know is a lot of, a lot of folks who have relied on uh, school to, have their kids with them for eight hours a day. There's a real strain that's been put on families. And we're actually not free from that either, to be honest with you, because Jen and I are both self-employed. Uh, we're trying to run two businesses out of the same house with two very active kids who now can't go anywhere else. And of course it's the summer in Phoenix, so it's 110 billion degrees. And so even just like go out in the backyard is not an option anymore. Um, you know, they, they 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 desiccate in like <laughs> 40, min- 40 minutes or something. Uh, But we've, you know, we've tried to adapt. I think one of the things that I, that's really, that this kind of exposes for people is really this question of how learning happens. And the the answer is what it always is, is there's as many different ways that it happens as there are individual learners. So every family trying to find their way and get resources uh, to support them, that's the front lines right there.
0: One of the things, Adrian, that you said was interesting, and I wanted to um, bring that back to Sandy for a minute, is is the parent part of this process, right? That, um, you know, when, if you were in a classroom or on-campus environment, the kid is dropped off at school, you are managing that child for the six to eight hours that they're on campus, whatever the parent has arranged for after school, and then they're home doing homework or whatever it is that they do. Well, now the parent or the caregiver is really intimately involved in every aspect, Sandy, of your day, right? I mean, they can be in the background listening to you teach where they weren't able to do that on campus. Um, You know, they can pop their head in on the the Zoom call and, you know, wave or do something. And so, you know, what's, what has been the adjustment there in terms of keeping parents engaged where they should be um, and reminding them that this is still a classroom environment, even if the four walls are not, are their four walls and not the classroom's four walls?
2: I've had parents pop in and my biggest concern is not about me. I'm always concerned about the child whose mom or dad popped in because that's embarrassing to the kid and how the other students are going to respond to that. And so it's it's never about me. I'm just always going to say that it's not about me. It's always about the kids. Always, 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 always about the kids. So how does that kid feel now that his mom or his dad or her dad popped in and said, so then we have to take care of that. I do know that my district did a, a, a good job of reaching out to the parents throughout the whole summer and getting their feedback as to how this is all gonna work and asked them and said to them, you need to find a place in your home that's private for your child to learn in and you shouldn't be in the room. I mean, that's part of the rules. Obviously, like if you're on camera and a parent's off camera, I'm not going to see it and I'm not going to necessarily know. I don't think I'm changing anything I say or I'm doing because I'm still teaching. But um, if a parent is online and is disruptive, unfortunately, I have to then put them in the waiting room, which is what we do in Zoom. It's the program that we use. And it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable situation, but I have to protect the rights of my other students. That has to come first and then the parent can yell if they want to. But they did sign a compact that said they would, they would do their best to provide a private space that they wouldn't interrupt the teacher's instruction. I do want to let you know that although I'm middle school, secondary didn't have this option, but our elementary schools in my district created pods. So if parents... If both parents were working or if you have two jobs, you know, as Adrian, you and your wife are working out of the house and the kids needed to be outside of the house, our district set up pods. That's the word they chose where they wouldn't have less than 10 kids in a room that were more than six feet apart with an adult in the room. It's not an instructional adult. It's either a substitute or a classroom assistant to give parents another option of putting their, being away from the home. Because some people have gone back to, physically gone back to work outside of the house. They can't have the kids at home. So our district tried really hard to accommodate all the concerns for the parents. But ultimately, they can't be in my Zoom class. And I have to kind of be hard about it. But that's just the way it
1: goes. You know, Sandra, you said something really I think is really important. And I hadn't thought of this before. So I really appreciate the insight. When you talked about, the requirement that there be a private space for learning, that that reminds me of what I was saying a few minutes ago, but I never connected these two together, which is learning happens between the ears of the learner. I mean, it's really something that you almost have to have a protected space in which to figure out a math problem or to to read a paragraph and try to understand what it means and, you know, or, or do whatever kind of activity you're doing aside from the group activities themselves. And isn't it interesting that in a classroom, so much of the behavioral management stuff is about trying to protect the space around each individual desk. So there's a quiet space for the student to learn. And yet, of course, as we all know, having been elementary and middle school students at one point in our lives, you know the, the, those boundaries are very permeable, and if somebody's snickering on the other side of the room, that's breaking the 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 privacy and the safety of our little space over here, and that can be a very difficult environment. It's not surprising to me to come back to what you said about unexpected benefits that some students are really flourishing in an environment where they may see people, but some of those um, social cues uh, that might have been stressful to them in in a in a physically proximate setting are, are free. And it's like, you know, right now we're recording this thing and I'm sitting in a, in a closet and I feel great. I mean, I'm here, I am, I'm comfortable. The doors are closed. I I have my private space and we're having a great conversation. And those probably aren't the kind of nuances that are making headlines. But I think that's a really, really interesting insight.
2: And the best thing is we got the mute button. (laughs) Which is so mean.
1: <laughs> you can you can put them in the waiting room. Wouldn't it be great? We're gonna to totally want to do that in real life. Once we get back together, yeah. we'll be like mute, 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 mute. Yeah, the
2: mute button.
1: This is a great conversation. Abby, anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
0: Well, sure, thank you. And I and I and I really do think that that you know it was interesting to to listen, Sandy, to your perspective because it's been what we've been talking about from a business person's perspective as well, that there were very definite benefits to what has happened. And, and, you know, as business owners, we have been forced to look at how our our operations are, what changes we could make, what were the things that we needed to do to provide for our teams that they could still be safe and functioning and, you know, successful in the workplace, even if the workplace didn't mean coming to a physical location and how we take what we've learned during this time and make decisions moving forward. Will, will we need to do things differently? Yes. What are we going to do and how are we going to do that? And much like the classroom setting and certain students are excelling in ways that they might not have been, I think the business community is seeing the same thing with their employees, that they are seeing different um, skill sets coming to the, you know, to the forefront because they're being asked to be challenged in a different way. And we we try to keep a, a positive look at uh, on this show and try to find the good in in what this this um, these challenging months have been. And I do think that's you know where that's headed. And it's it's encouraging to me to hear from an educator that you know that yes, there's challenges. There's no question. There's challenges, but that in itself is not um, any different than any you know, typical first month of school, you just, they're just different. And what you learn from those experiences and take back to the classroom, if the classroom becomes back on campus, um, it'd be interesting to, you know, have you join us again, uh, you know, maybe in the the second semester of this, of this situation and see what has transpired and what learnings we've done to make things different. So I do appreciate that the, you know, you've, you've shared some of those insights with us and given us a, a first person's view, as opposed to, um, you know, what we can make suppositions by what we're reading and such. So it's been really interesting. And, and um, I have the benefit of, of listening to her doing some of these things in real time. So um, I think the students are, are lucky to have someone like you that cares that much about, um, you know, really, really learning yourself to be able to teach them in a way that, that they can be successful. So thank you for joining us today and, and for sharing some of that insight with us. Thank you.
1: The Arizona 100 is a twice-a-month publication. It is available for free online. You can subscribe at thearizona100.com. If you have story ideas, you can send those to editor at dot 100com